0: I'm Adam Weil, Creative Director of White Rabbit Group. I welcome you to the Pixel Perfect Podcast, where we share knowledge, experiences, and motivations from creatives and entrepreneurs. Today I'm excited to speak with Steve Barretto of Barreto Co, an award-winning design agency based in Oakland, California. And for the past 25 years, they've been delivering world-class creative to mission-driven brands. and. Currently, they're embarking upon a campaign to replace the word branding because they don't feel it's appropriate given its historical track record and the implications of ownership. Instead, they're seeking a replacement term to better signify belonging, which puts the power back in the hands of the people. So, Steve, I just I'd love to start off uh, diving a little deeper into that and just asking, you know, what sparked that campaign, and if you found any replacement terms for for branding that you're you're currently satisfied with.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm uh, really excited to talk to you about this, actually. It was spawned at a UC Santa Cruz presentation where we had just recreated their public image. Mm. And uh, UC Santa Cruz, of course, is a top-notch university uh, and uh, on the West Coast with a lot of liberal thinkers Um, in the three or four month relationship we had learned a lot about uh, being politically correct Mm. we didn't use the term master uh, so when we would refer to a master theme that would be like a wordpress theme for example Mm. Uh, they would ask us if we could use an alternative word Mm. Um, which is started to raise our wokeness, right
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: um and other you know just the use of pronouns and um just making sure that everything that came out of our mouths was uh carefully thought about and inclusive and equitable mm. and as we were presenting our final round of of work for the brand um, I thought to myself well we shouldn't be using the word brand or brand identity mm. because of the history that that carries with it
2: sure
1: um, and even this idea of um, you know it, I, I believe it comes from um, northern European cultures originally and huh. it, it stood for or it meant um, to, to mark something with a, a burnt, piece of wood so you were you were making a mark of ownership on something Mm. um and so in thinking about how it related to our work with DC santa cruz um the it isn't about ownership it's about choosing to belong versus uh the the you know coming top down and claiming uh you know your audience right so um the fact that the power essentially does rest with those choosing to adopt uh, to belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it makes sense now for us to just re-examine it. Right. And I don't know what alternative words there might be, but I know it's one of these words that's so much part of popular culture and it's so ingrained in us. Yeah. Uh, when we think about what kind of car we choose or what cereal we eat or what shoes we buy. it just comes it flows naturally but there must be an alternative right and and i know that there is because as we were talking with uc santa cruz about all these other words that we use routinely that we were able to find substitutes yeah so um I'm actually working on uh, the outline for a little uh, piece that I'm going to write. I don't know if it's an op-ed or if it's going to turn into a book or or what have you, but I am putting some critical thought into the idea. It's going to be my own little contribution to the industry, <laughs> whether yeah. or not it takes hold or not, um, yeah. w- will remain to be seen, but that's the intention.
0: Yeah. Wow, I really appreciate the context there too. Because when I read that um that you were, you know, embarking upon that campaign, I I was sort of caught off guard. I said, Well, gosh, it's it's so common for people to use the word branding. And I just didn't really put any extra thought into it. But just by um hearing about this campaign, it made me think about it a little bit more. And I think just the the act of questioning, um, does make a little contribution in and of itself, so I, I like the fact that you're you're continuing to push upon it and and um, and see where it leads. I'm, I'm really curious to see what you what you come up with.
1: Well, um, people who uh, I'm I'm close to you, uh, will sort of not be surprised that I'm embarking upon this campaign because I in 2006 I created a character named Brown Jesus okay (laughs) you can find them on my website okay Uh, but uh you know i was raised catholic and uh there was a lot of um stereotyping that was happening Mm. um around um middle eastern people and cultures Mm. in early 2000s um and i was thinking to myself that uh you know, that Jesus probably looked a lot more like um, Osama bin Laden than Mm. George Bush. Mm. It wasn't the inspiration behind it, but I was just, you know, I'm just observing, right, that Jesus was from the Middle East and probably looked more like that than George Bush. And um, I was doing doodles for a corporate client, and I drew these concentric arcs and i put two eyeballs on it and i drew a little beard and i was like oh my god that's <laughs> that looks like jesus
2: yeah oh so i had
1: god. to give it a name and i gave it a name brown jesus it was brown picked jesus. up by the museum uh, curator at the store at the d young museum in san francisco oh,
2: wow. and
1: it it um i created a pop-up store she asked me to create a pop-up store outside of a uh, collection by cheech marin who has the largest collection of chicano art Hmm. had i been chicano i could have included it in the show she said but instead i created this pop-up store and you know thousands of brown jesus t-shirts and stickers and mouse pads are around the planet now because of that
0: wow (laughs) yeah that is funny that's a funny story well that that kind of segues nicely into one of the questions i had which is you know it, it sounds like you you're an independent thinker and you've been that way for quite some time. It sounds like, and you—you you, seems like you like to sort of push up against the walls and and on norms. Um, I'm curious, what's one thing about your field of expertise that maybe no one agrees with you on? Is there anything that comes to mind there?
1: Well, I think the I think that the idea of changing the, the name of our craft. Yeah. <laughs> is going to uh, rub on a lot of people the wrong way or, or challenge them to think about it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always uh, sort of been the outlier, right? Sure. So I, I was asked by a professor in photography in my, I took six years to get through college in my fifth year, if I would be interested in working at, this company that his wife was working at in Cupertino is you know kind of a mid-level computer company called Apple didn't mm-hmm. of course I was working on my Apple SE and I was like of course I would want to work there so I I came in as a production assistant in the mm-hmm. summer and all the private school kids had the internships right um, so they were there for three months they got paid more than me and and uh, were just kind of treated with white gloves a little bit, you know. And I was the local public university kid, just working my butt off trying to find a foothold. Sure. And when they went back to school in the fall, I got to stay because I was local. Um, that's had a huge impression on me. I've I've always fought for the underdog and mm-hmm. um, have tried to identify talent <clears throat> outside of um situations where it's been easier for some folks Mm. right so i've I've always uh tried to support uh, people of color in design which there is you know traditionally a lack of people of color or or uh women in design and women Mm. of color in design Mm -hmm. and that whole um awareness of being um uh Maybe different, or coming at things from a different point of view, uh, has led me to, you know, want to be independent, want to express mm. ideas that I have,
2: right. not
1: be afraid of doing so,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and at the same time, working in this very kind of, you know, corporate world where the lanes are pretty clearly, uh, you know, um, established. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, there's something valuable in that in itself, right. To, yeah. to learn how to play within the rules of the game, but then to also find your own voice and, and use it when it's appropriate. Yeah. And if you, and if you have the right sort of means to do so.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's really good. Cool. And it's always great when you can align well with the values of a company and help them really amplify their message. If there's an alignment there, that's where the magic happens, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I, I think the one thing that is super hard and at the same time really obvious is being authentic and true. Mm. And so over 30 years, by questioning is is how you get to whether or not what you're hearing Is matching with what you're what you're feeling after you heard what you just heard right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm. what we do is a little bit like therapy our our clients come to us they tell us who they think they are Mm -hmm. and they tell us who their audiences are we go out and speak to those audiences and we find out if what they're telling us is accurate
0: Mm. and if they're questions
1: we ask questions we ask really hard questions and if it's not accurate, then we have to deliver that hard reality back to them. You know, mm. I know that you're telling us that this is who you want to be and who you think you are,
2: mm.
1: but this is what we're hearing from your audiences. And so how do we reconcile? How do we uh, close the gap on that? And and what insights do we have from learning more about you? Mm. Um, uh, what can we surface, right, yeah. that might start to speak more authentically to the way you're being perceived.
0: Sure. And I imagine you get some pushback sometimes in that process from the yes. client. Yes. How do you manage that? How do you I imagine it's probably a lot of it's about how you present it, but um, even even then I'm sure it's not always received as you intend. So how do you how do you manage that process and and um, and make sure yeah that they understand the insights there and and receive them yeah
1: more. yeah it's a really good question right because like any relationship say let's just use dating as an example you you learn about a person and as you spend more time with them and ask more questions about their history and learn more about things that they've done where actions speak louder than words you start to develop a more full picture of this this person right and let's think of that person as an organization now and you can um you can sort of hold their feet to the fire about certain things right if they say that they're um you know forward thinking in the areas of um uh, DEI diversity equity and inclusion you know well what programs do you have in place that are you know uh, and and what goals have you set and what You know, have you measured, you know, any achievement toward that goal? Mm -hmm. Um, You can say the same thing about, you know, value, right? Stock value Mm -hmm. and the the strategies that um, help you get to growing an audience, right? So um, it's always about learning and then questioning, hey, am I still on board with the values that this client is? Um saying that they live by and mm-hmm. and my own personal values mm-hmm. and and sometimes um there's a way to just uh, come to an understanding that uh, you no longer align mm-hmm. and and there's graceful ways to to exit those kind of relationships. The ultimate is when mm-hmm. it's accurate and you're you're doing the kind of work that, you see yourself doing in the world with a client who wants to do that work with you and trusts you with their communications, their mm-hmm. brand, um, because they believe that you're the person that can, um, help them communicate and entertain and engage and educate,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: all those things.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you coined the, the phrase brand awesomeness, um, you know, when referring to helping clients, you know, find that unique value and potential. Um, I'd love to hear uh, a, an impactful experience where you're able to help a brand find something unique about themselves that they maybe even didn't know.
1: Yeah, you know, I I saw that question, and I there's um, there's a couple things that come to mind for me um, that happen without um the intention right so way back in 1990 something we had done a logo for a small startup called VeriSign in Redwood Shores and they were about security identity security and we had done this um digital checkmark against against uh, it was in one of our sketches and uh, made the mistake of showing the client sketches mm. it wouldn't have been my preferred design solution yeah but the client saw it loved it and and went for it right and mm. so verisign eventually got bought by Symantec mm. in the millions and millions of dollars that purchase i don't even know what it was but yeah should sure you wish there were such a thing as royalties for designers um <laughs> And Symantec chose to take that identity, the check mark, and use it. And, and they lost their existing identity. So they bought the smaller company. They used their identity and, and pushed that forward. So every time I'm on my phone and I'm making a transaction around a value exchange now, I see my logo with the little yellow circle around it. Yeah. And I just cringe <laughs> to myself. Um, so that's a case where, you know... Your work can come back and you know be an ever-present reminder of your um, your level of expertise at the time. Um, yeah. But the one that, where I felt like uh, it was a better story is when uh, in two thousand nine during the downturn, I went back in house for a um, to work at a agency in Campbell called Silverline, and they were focused specifically on the e-comm space and they had just won a contract with tiny Prince. Tiny Prince was, uh, founded here in the Bay area by, um, three people that got together every Tuesday for a burrito and they talked about what next great idea they could come up with that would help turn them into like super successful, you know, entrepreneurs. Yeah. The husband, wife, and, and a friend. Um, they created Tiny Prints because I think they were personally going through having a child uh, and wanted to find a better solution for um, online for producing baby shower invitations. Mm. Um, they were successful, started to carve out a little niche in the market. And then they met with Silverline sometime between 2009 and 2012 to um, revisit the brand. Mm. And so we had done all the strategy and research and came up with the idea that um, the new brand promise would be that Tiny Prince transforms life's moments into lasting impressions. Mm. And um, again, in the process of doodling, um, something that came out of um, my head was uh, an elephant. Mm. Um, you know the opposite of something tiny and uh, the existing logo I think was two little baby footprints mm. and so to, to flip a story like that from you know baby footprints to like elephant footprints
2: yeah, yeah. is
1: uh, a bold move and it says you know if you're gonna go big I mean go big yeah and um, so they were courageous enough to see the storytelling potential in Mm. this move right
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and uh so they i can send you the the brand guidelines actually after the after the call here Uh, i'll share them with you and um we were you know under this impression that they were you know going against Shutterfly, really right Mm -hmm. that was their 300 pound gorilla in the room Well, it turns out after this, you know, all this brand energy and effort and creativity after a year and a half or two that they got purchased by Shutterfly. And that's just the lesson. That's how it works. Right. Mm -hmm. Either the, the, um, the big 300 pound gorilla in the space, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just buys the person buys the company that's starting to infringe on their, their market share. Yep. And either, you know creates that uh, an internal extension of that same identity or brand within yeah. or completely buys them and just shuts them down
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny oh those are funny stories and uh it's I do I don't know if I've ever heard of a story where they actually acquire the brand and then take over their their logo mark their 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 brand identity oh you mean with Verisign
1: uh, Verisign yeah
0: it's it's much more uh, the other way around, like you were explaining. But that mm-hmm. is uh, that is pretty funny. It's you know you saw that with uh, Adobe and Figma recently. Yes. Adobe acquiring Figma, which is pretty funny too, because you can go back to some of the founders' original tweets uh, uh-huh. of Figma, saying that you know their goal was basically not to get acquired. Um, but I guess you know things change over you time.
2: You know. Uh
1: it takes me back to like the green day story and every, when green day went big all of them, all of their fans were just so upset by the fact that they were becoming so mainstream
0: mainstream. Yeah.
1: You know, it's a challenge, I think with, with so many, um, it, uh, you know, we all want to remain true to ourselves and, and try to be as authentic as possible. But when it's so, um, true and and good and liked by so many people it's a question of do i want my work to have more of an impact on more people right or do i want to remain kind of in in a smaller rebel
0: smaller space? yeah
1: kind of understanding and maybe not have as much of an impact so it's hard to It's hard to steward for sure, but look at what the CEO of Patagonia just did. Mm. Right? Yeah. What an inspiring story um, to stay true to your values. And when there is no solution for how you want to exit the stage, Mm -hmm. you just create your own. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and find a new way. And, And now I think the business world is going to be thinking about that exit strategy in mm-hmm. uh, an ongoing, you know, he, he forged a new way for, for companies to think about how to carry on their legacy.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think with the spotlight that Patagonia had, I think it became much more exposed because I, I have heard of other companies doing that, but it just wasn't as talked about. And I think with Patagonia's, you know, recognition and, uh, and, and everyone becoming aware of that, yeah, I do think it's going to become much more popular yeah i think is good
1: yeah i mean it's again um it's about being future seeking Mm -hmm. right right and 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 having something live beyond your ego
0: yeah yeah and have a broader reach
2: Mm mm-hmm
0: So I I know we don't have too much time here. I I did want to ask um, a couple more questions. And one of them, I had to call back to Apple. You mentioned you worked at Apple. Um, You know, today's world, it's hard to imagine Apple without associating it with the internet. But I'm curious, what was it like working at Apple in the pre-internet days? What was that experience like?
1: Yeah, so this was 1989, roughly, um, and uh, Apple It was called Apple Computer Inc. at the time, you know, and it was just that it was selling computers. It was the computer company with the most friendly user interface or OS and and hardware um, uh, contained. Right. Um, I think John Scully had had entered when Steve Jobs left um, somewhere in the 80s. Maybe it was 83 that John Scully stepped in. Mm. And, uh, his focus was on making Apple like a a household name, like product name, you know, like general electric or whirlpool. Um, and the focus was on product lines and profits. So, uh, yeah, I was helping comping up, um, uh, prototypes, you know, packaging prototypes, Mm. uh, using, uh, giant cameras to make what were called stats at that point where we would then take the film and go make rub down letters and, and custom colors that would match the Pantone books. Uh, this was all hand done work, which and is gone. You know, that yeah. there there's no longer this um, craft of using your hands to, you know, cut perfect circles with scissors or, Uh, Mm. use an exacto knife in the way that you know we used to have to use them Um,
2: Mm. or even the
1: collaboration that hand that um, was around a giant work surface you know you'd have 15 Mm. you know designers and production people like all mocking up stuff you know at a giant table Um, it might happen more in an industrial design studio now sure uh, or situation but graphic design everybody's pretty much in their you know at their desk away from everything you don't even have to do color printouts anymore for the most part because everything's so digital yeah um so it was a lot of that and um i had worked on so i'd worked on um the first apple digital camera called the quick Picks. Hmm. uh bet you didn't even know it existed no <laughs> uh i was around the team that was working on the apple newton at the time it was very top secret and you know behind closed doors um, we worked on the first line of Apple uh, computer products that were in big box retail stores called Performa. Mm. Uh, you know, innovation at that time. Everything Apple did was about innovation. So the big innovative thing we were doing was craft packaging in the big mm. box stores. And we were the first computer company to do that. And that was, you know, a story.
2: Mm. Um, yeah.
1: And then, of course, the Macworld events and reports. Um, and then and a lot of internal, uh, you know, identities for groups within Apple. Sure. Uh, our our team was about 120 people at the time. Um, and because I was the youngest after a few rounds of, of layoffs, because Apple was going through tough times then. Um, yeah. I, I left after uh, a two-year full-time employment, and I was there as a contractor for two years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And I know we're reaching the, the max time here, Adam. So if we yeah. need to
0: Well, it's it's great to hear the story. Uh I, I really want to have more time, but um, but all this was fascinating to hear and I, I super appreciate having you on. Um I, I just have one question, one last question. Um, you know, this is the Pixel Perfect podcast. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you're creative, we live in a digital world. Uh, I'm curious, what does Pixel Perfect mean to you?
2: yeah uh
1: pixel perfect is it, it, it's the it's a replacement for a word called excellence
2: mm. for me, mm. right
1: mm-hmm. so uh it just happens to be that you know we're now in the digital age where excellence can be measured by the size of a pixel and whether you're that precise or not. Yeah. But precision and excellence is what design is about. And not just in the craft of making something, but even in the craft of storytelling. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So everything from the words to the video, to the motion graphics, to the music choice, to uh, the very last detail hang tag, what have you, sticker, um, should be an extension of the original idea, which mm. all revolves around the story. So right. I think pixel perfect, you know, that can apply to audio mm. in some cases.
0: Sure. Well, I like that. Um, anyway. Yeah. Steve, you're, you're a man of replacement words. I like it. <laughs> well thank you so much for for coming on and uh and sharing your story and uh, and your wisdom with us i really appreciate it uh, thank you again thanks for having me thank you for listening to the pixel perfect podcast where we go down the rabbit hole on the journey and motivations of creatives and entrepreneurs stay tuned for more stories to come until next time